Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to a limited edition prom night special edition of Thrash and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast that set out to juxtapose the roses of musical theatre with the ripped closes of heavy metal. And speaking of pose, I'm Aaron and I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. And I'm joined as usual by a split screen by the reformed baker who bagged his last baguette because he rolled up his final coffee scroll. That's right, he no longer needs bread, but we need a shade of kamikaze kiwi. So we've got Evan the Metal Man. How's it going? <laughs> Very good. God, I'm out of breath already. <sighs> I had to buy a loaf of bread today. I was really annoyed about it. Really? I've had free bread for 30 years. Yeah, I know. I had to buy a loaf. It was very annoying. Welcome to the real world, mate, and welcome to the sunshine <laughs> as well, because you obviously get to see daylight now and your skin is looking all the better for it. But anyways, guess what? What? We have another legendary diva in the studio today. And if you thought I was a nurse of puns, this queen is a doctor of letters and you don't even know it, but I do. Because I know my ABCs, and this audaciously beautiful comedy drama extraordinaire first got her incredible journey kickstarted like many new Oldham performers, quickly rising straight to universal veneration with excitingly youthful zest and an appetite for elevated acting, allowing this acclaimed artist, biographer, choreographer, and dancer to sink her teeth in Anita, the Dinner Ladies, mm, before scooping up the EastEnders, yum, but not before she served, in Wetty Hainthrop, Investor Gates, which broke open and led this glamazon toward the River City New Street Law where the heart is on the edge. But whether in the club or the slammer, this magnolia can hold the sunset, a doctor who is moving on and going the distance and coming up a thrash and treasure champ. So join you, me and them Hullraisers in raising a huge Aussie g'day and a yes queen to this accomplished author whose memoir, Remember Me, was written whilst recovering from the virus because we are living in a pandemia world and she's an academia girl who has hit the big screen in Junk Hearts, Finding Fatima, Shadow Scan, plus pro shots of Richard Eleven as well as the pro shot and movie versions of today's chosen Dragsicle, in which her ray of sunshine has shone brightly on the West End, UK and Los Angeles stages. So from LA to LV, you would need more than a little voice to name the countless stage credits where we've witnessed this wickedly wonderful woman wipe the wings with her warm yet otherworldly aura by dancing within walls with Anita and me in Greece and Mamma Mia, it was a Midsummer Night's Dream Girls' Night Out and many more, plus a galaxy full of TV appearances as herself, including Loose Women, Countdown, Celebrity, Best Home Cook, CBB's Fair Time Story, and many, many more to say this legend's career is storied would be an understatement, just like these intros. So we welcome to the torture chamber a truly remarkable fixture of British television whose bright and beloved stint on Coronation Street helped propel our guest to the royally revered honour of Deputy Lieutenant of Greater Manchester, which means she can get you into all the coolest clubs in town. So bow down, mister, because if my name ain't Leon, well, it's not, but we're also not worthy to be joined by this soap star superstar, the seriously sensational Dr. Queen Shobna Gulati. Yes, welcome to the torture chamber. How are you going? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. That's been the longest of both intros that I've done so far. I was going to say, we've got a, got a timer on that one. I think I'm done now. I think yes. we could just go home. Yes, I <laughs> we've think done so. it. 
That's it. That, I, and look, I didn't even get in uh, a number of your recent projects. Oh my God, it's already so long. And I had been patting up myself on the back because I'd actually written it a few weeks ago, but just recently at, I think it was probably about 7am after working all night, I'd been editing an upcoming episode all night and I lied down and I thought, can I write a sentence with the alphabet? Because you are a doctor of letters. I am a doctor of letters. I'm, I'm also a doctor of the arts. I'm a triple doctor. That was my performance art. And, and there's your letter of the alphabet of your career, which I don't know how I did that as I was drifting off to sleep. So that's my process. It's amazing. Congratulations. I think uh, you've got your own PhD there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, that's again uh, coming from you with this remarkable career that you have had and has obviously been non-stop since the pandemic has opened things up again. Have you found time to sleep since you have finished your tour recently? Well, that that comes hand in hand with um, when am I ever going to work again? Because, of course, actors, as soon as they finish a job, they get stuck into, oh, oh, how am I going to earn a living? How am I going to work again? Will anybody employ me again? So I have had some sleepless nights over, like you know, some self-tapes where I've had a recall after recall after recall and some really exciting ones. And then, you know, to be pipped at the post at the end of it. So, no, I haven't had much sleep you know it goes it has its ups and downs and I'm still at it so I sent a self-tape this morning and you know on a wing and a prayer as they say Mm mm-hmm yeah, I can't imagine. We had a, a guest on recently who sort of retired, I guess, from performing a number of years ago. And he sort of looks at the audition state now, what performers go through. And he, he thinks he couldn't do it to film yourself and send it off. Like even a performer who's gotten a script and learned it and then goes in and, and does something like Coronation Street or Dinner Ladies, you're prepared for that. You've developed your character here. You're self-taping at home, not knowing much, you know, it, it must be a daunting process. It is a very daunting process. It, it is, it is, because um, I think that when you're in a job, you've got the director, you've got the production team, you've got costume, you've got makeup, you've got everybody behind you making this character with you. And when you're at home, you've got your wardrobe or my floor drobe, as I call it, mm-hmm. and you're picking up your clothes and thinking, well, this character might wear this. You don't know what the director's thinking. You don't, you don't. You don't know, actually. And some directors don't actually, even in an audition room, don't actually speak to you. So it is quite a lonesome process. I'm not sure what anybody really, really expects from an actor these days. You know, finished, polished performance, what, from self-tape in the living room to to scream? I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know how one does it, but I've got to get through it. And uh, this is my chosen profession, so I'll keep going. That's all I can do. Yep. I, I actually find it demeaning that they will still make, you know, someone with a huge body of work, you can just go and check out, still do self-tapes and audition. And, I mean, obviously you've got to audition, but, you know, the self-taping process. Like, it was it oh. Shelley Winters, right? Got asked to audition and she went in and she said, you want my audition? And she slammed her Oscar on the table. Here's my audition. <laughs> and then it was something like, you want my call back? And she slammed her other Oscar on the table and said, and there was a bit of swearing in that. Um, also, I, I, paraphrasing yeah, I, there but i think it is hard but i think that um 
I don't know. There must be some reason for it. I'm not sure what it is. Um, but I just, you know, I just, I just go with the flow. I'm sure for some actors it's not quite like this. Um, so you may, Ooh. if Shirley's been through it, then I think um, we're all on the same page, possibly. Yeah, that's it. Um, can I? Sorry, that my dog has just been to the vet today, and she's not actually supposed to be outside, but she's outside barking. So I need to go tell them to let her inside because otherwise it's just going to be a barking dog the whole time. She can't hear it. She got these sex today um because she's obviously young so i can hear it yeah you can hear it so and it's just going to be destructive so i'm so sorry about this they were supposed to have her in the laundry by now but no no worries (laughs) he's so organized well it's not our dog (laughs) i have no idea what dog that is it must be my neighbours because she's in the laundry and I've just disturbed her. So she's going to be at the door waiting. Anyways. Okay. I'm so sorry about that. We're going to have to put up with the dog barking and it's going to be the neighbours fun. But anyways, okay. On with the show. Uh, you have just been on tour with Little Voice. Yes. Uh, Rise and Fall of Little Voice. And uh, Did you pick up any impersonations on the road? Because obviously you worked with Christina Bianco. Yeah, with the amazing Christina Bianco. I, I, yes, I picked up some impersonations of Christina. Yeah. Uh, as she did of me. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, it's really interesting to watch somebody like her work and to see her how she tunes into people and mm-hmm. tunes in sounds. I mean, it's such a skill. It's amazing. And I I think what helped me on tour with Christina was um, that I have been able to now pick up accents better. Mm-hmm. You know that that. That was never really one of my strong points, but it, it has become an easier task because she's given me some tools. So that's been really interesting. I've been working on my Drew Barrymore for our listeners at home. It is getting better and better. Uh, but anyways, we will move on from little voice to big voices. Uh, heavy metal. Have you had any experience with heavy metal over the years? So Led Zeppelin? Yeah. My uncle used to listen to Led Zeppelin. So, you know, I've got, you know, a, a little bit in my head. All I can hear is, Mama says, by the way you move, gonna make you swear, gonna make you groove. And that sits in my head. That's um, some dog song. I thought it was the immigrants. Yes. Black dog, isn't it? Black dog. Yes, that's it. Black dog, sorry. How did you get that wrong, Evan? And I got it right. I'm not. They're a little before my time. I mean, yeah. Well, that's no excuse. I didn't have them on repeat. That is (laughs) absolutely no excuse. That's it in my head rent free. (laughs) Just it's in my head. So, I mean, that's my experience of metal, I suppose. Would you say, I don't know, well, in my time, the people who listen to metal listen to Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Motorhead a little bit. Um, That's it, really. I mean, I don't tend to listen to it very much, but I have listened. But I haven't listened to any new metal. I don't know whether that's different. Oh, (laughs) it all gets very different. yeah, there's so many, so many subgenres. It's, it's, yeah, it's mental. I find it you, you named mostly British metal, which is kind of cool. <laughs> oh yes, and 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 we had a, it is um at one point I don't know whether you'd class status quo as metal, not really. Sure, I mean, would you? Yeah, they're pioneers. They're pioneers. So we we had them visit um Coronation Street when I was oh, wow. on Coronation Street back in the day. And they had a few cameo roles. And 
I have this album of, um, you know, my time on Corrie that when I left, they gave me a sort of some, a picture album, you know, a photograph album. And there's a great picture of me with uh, the uh, two band members from Status Quo uh, in the Rover's Return. And I'm wearing big hoop earrings from the 70s. And it's quite like, it's just like, it's very nostalgic and it feels like I'm in the band. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wonderful. Very cool. Oh, wow. Because you would have had a lot of guest stars come on that show. Yeah, yeah. Over the years, yeah, because we thought quite a while. But we've got a couple of questions on that. Uh, now, this week, I chose the metal band or the album that we did because I went looking for a glam bands that would match up with the musical. Okay. And I found, <laughs> found one called The Queer Boys. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll just roll with that. I have no idea who they are. <laughs> Um, they're spelled Q-U-I-R-E, so you could call them the Choir Boys, I guess, but there is already a yeah, band yeah. called the Choir Boys. Yeah, um, no, okay, you're completely asked backwards there. They are called the Choir Boys, aw. and there is another band called the Choir Boys. Not in my head, mate. They're called the Queer Boys. And funnily enough, their original name was the Queer Boys. And they're from, aren't they from Newcastle or something? Um, I had it listed as London, as far as I know. England. They're, they're definitely English, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah, very, very English. I think Spike is from Newcastle, yes. Yeah. Yes, Jonathan Gray who was the lead singer for many, many years. All right. Well, before, Evan, you step on any more of my jokes, I'm going to quickly read my review. Okay. It's a cold read. So here's my self-tape. When we first decided to do The Queer Boys, I was a bit disappointed. Is there not any bands called The Single Bears for crying out loud? Zero stars. <laughs> but I guess they're here. They're queer. I'll get used to it. Anyway, upon first listening, the blues-infused opening track was familiar on account of spending so much time in my youth with tramps and thieves. But this sleazy track allowed lead singer Spike's reckless vocals to stretch out and play, if a little screamy. White Trash Blues reminded me of Evan, and just like Evan, I felt a slight tightening of the screws might have made for a slightly more unique song. No offence, mate. Can't park here. Oh, sorry. King of New York was the obligatory ballad. Sure. Don't Bite the Hand That Feeds You had interesting lyrics, so I had no idea what they are. Last time was another ballad. Okay. But Debbie was a bop, a sleazy, sexist bop that made me take my pants off, which I left off for my favourite priest, Brother Louis, which was such a bop that I bopped Brother Louis all night. The rest of the album continued with the bluesy theme, which suits Spike's raspy voice and really settles in the country-infused hates to please which could have been a top 40 hit in Queensland had this band mulleted their way to Australia. Overall, we have another rather easy mix of hard rock, blues and country, but sadly, whilst this was enjoyable, sans the ballads, it never really took off and made me want to storm the capital. Three stars. It was not bad, but it wasn't great. It really wasn't terrible. It was easy listening enough. There was bops, but no real punch. So I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I'm sitting here going, it's it's not metal. And I disagree with your choice entirely. I would describe it as more rock and blues. Mm. I didn't get that kind of metal vibe from it. No. No. I, I no. certainly got the glam rock. Yeah, yeah. And his voice. I liked his voice. But do you think glam rock is metal? Well, we, we've covered it. It's heavy metal. Yeah, because there's yeah. a fine line between glam rock and glam metal. So, you know, and it's theatricality, 
the campness behind it, there's storytelling as well that's very steeped in metal because the songs aren't necessarily boy meets girl, or I love you, or you broke up with me, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's come to the point that there are so many genres and so many sub-genres that just if if someone's good, then an, an influential or a pioneer, it, it's metal. You know, bugger it. It's all metal. Yeah. And these guys are still going. Yes, sort of. Well, okay, when I say that, they recently kicked Spike out of the band, which means there's no original members still in the band. So are they still the queer boys? No, um, um, uh, what's his name? Billy. Was he in it originally? Yeah, he's been on every album. The new singer, well, the, the guitarist who's become the lead singer is, where's the band member list? Um, yeah, he's Guy Griffin. There we go. Guy Griffin. Anyway, he's taken over singing. He apparently has performed on every album all the way through. Oh, okay. Mm. I thought, so, okay. Yeah, the current lineup is very different than what they started with, and they have got rid of Spike because of issues. Yeah, that was, wasn't described at all. And he's tried to start another band, which reminds me of this whole Little River band that there's Little River band going in America, but in Australia, they have to call themselves LRB. Yeah. But in Australia is the original members. So it's kind of disheartening. Same with here. The choir boys would often call themselves the London choir boys. So they differentiate themselves from the Australian choir boys. Like the West Coast Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. (laughs) I understood in geek. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, I, like it was good and it was familiar. Yeah. I, it was like it was familiar without me knowing them, if it makes sense. Like it was easy. Yeah. Again, I never actually heard of them. Like I had no idea who these people were when you sent this link to me. And I'm like, choir boys, surely you mean, you know, the Australian choir boys. No, <laughs> the queer boys. <laughs> yeah. Now, Shobna, had they, yeah. they charted in the UK? Had you heard of them before this? No, I hadn't heard of them. And when oh. I was thinking about what might match with everybody's talking about Jamie and our, you know, LBGTQ plus messages that lie within the musical, yep. I was thinking, like when I first came into contact with Jamie I kept thinking about David Bowie actually and that kind of glam rock type thing and you know Jamie's makeup was very Bowie-esque you know it had those kind of you know associations with that and I kept thinking about Freddie Mercury and Queen and everything to do with them and how he performed Freddie Mercury performed and then how Jamie comes into his own and you know becomes this kind of like icon Mm. so in those ways I didn't think of the band particularly I just thought about people in sort of rock and metal who might be you know who might have that kind of you know David Bowie had that kind of like no gender type feel about him very androgynous yeah very androgynous and you know and I kept I didn't think of a band particularly no that was a very roundabout way of saying it but yeah I didn't think of a band particularly um you know Elton John and all of that kind of that you know rock as opposed to metal I suppose yeah yeah so in that way I didn't think of a particular band but I thought about people all the people you mentioned there is that campness and that flamboyancy that theatricality that blends all these genres together that that's why we juxtapose this genre well these genres against musical theater because here you have two seemingly different worlds, but they're really not because the music in, in a lot of these 
bands that we do is very melodic and it's storytelling and it's as I say theatrical and it's camp and it's over the top and it's yeah it, mm. and I think this this band maybe this album if there's another album maybe there's a more unique flavor to them I don't know I picked it at random <laughs> it's funny you mentioned um Bowie and Mercury and and Jamie and it's like the one one common trend there is they're all so freaking skinny <laughs> they're like five percent body fat i'm just envious like how how is that possible don't be it's not nice but i'll i will say that it is on record that broadway legend two-time tony nominee allison frazier came on this show and said you know you look like freddie mercury aaron <laughs> oh bless her heart bless her heart because i had a date that night and it put a spring in my step that day but yeah but yeah i i also had to listen to these guys for the first time and the one that really stood out i really like white trash blues that was a great song <laughs> yeah well i gave you a shout out didn't i yeah it was like that's the one song i really liked uh but i did sort of randomly sample the songs around the place and yeah his uh spike singing voice it just doesn't change a huge amount it's that you know raspy whispery type thing the whole way through but it's clean it sounds like he's an actual singer it doesn't sound like he's just some guy that walked into a pub and picked up a mic one day no i'm not saying he can't sing i'm just saying he that there's not many voices there i'm saying there's technique there that yeah well yes versatility is what you're saying yes i agree on yeah, that but yeah. at least there is a professionalism behind it like you can tell that he's a sure. singer i i think i'm just I, I think if i remember rightly didn't they have a song called uh i can't remember hey hey you, it's 1990s or something if i remember i'd left the country by then i was in i was living in france but I I think there was a there was a song that they had Hey You and I think that that was quite popular in England. Yes, that there, there it is. It? Uh, that was on the first album, uh, in '89. There we go. I think it got into the top forty. Yep. Number fourteen, apparently. Yeah, so okay. I have heard. I mean, yeah, you know, when you mentioned the Choir Boys, I didn't realise that that was them. Yeah. I just I just remember a song called Hey. Hey, hey, you! Yeah, it does. Yeah, spike that kind of rings a bell because when you are living in France and you listen to the radio, that people say the words differently. I remember, I remember something they said something about uh, what was it? Uh, who sang "Achy Breaky Heart"? Uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, Billy Ray Cyrus. And I remember listening to the radio in France and somebody going "Achy Blacky Out." <laughs> so, <laughs> Achy Blacky Out. So, you know, they probably did play Hey You, but said the choir boys differently. And I, you know, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't they, remember. They're saying it um, phonetically or as they see it. Mm. That's what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, you know, things that stick in your head are quite interesting, aren't they? They just never go. You just sort of, they just, there's loads of things that live rent-free in my head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And also phonetically, that's what I do on this show in saying band names. I say it as I see it, much to Evan's chagrin, or as I like to say it, chagrin, because that's how it's written. <laughs> So were you actually aware that the original name was Queer Boys or were you just being funny? I looked it up. It said in parentheses, the Queer Boys. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, that's obviously the pronunciation of it. They're being clever with their writing. No, their it was spelling. just the original name. Oh, well, that's still what I'm going to call them. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Why not? Yeah. So it was not an unsuccessful album, mm. I don't think. Like I enjoyed it and I listened to it a, a lot. I listened to it while I was breeding dodos. May sound very weird to the initiated. I'm breeding them to kill Evan, which again may sound very weird to the uninitiated. Uh, it's in a video game, um, but sort of just for hours and hours listening to to both albums on repeat and yeah there there's some bops in there hmm. why didn't they ever make it here uh because we already had a choir boys and and touring uh, was a nightmare and they didn't want to <laughs> they it's, it's just confusing for the general public they think the choir boys is playing and it's not it's the choir boys so they have to call themselves london choir boys they they did offer uh they did have the option to buy the name with the different spelling but Apparently, the Australian ones wanted way too much money and they just went bugger it. We'll just call ourselves the London Choir Boys instead, um, which they've then dropped. And because no one, you know, but they're both still playing. Like the Australian Choir Boys still pop up from time to time. And they've got some legendary songs like, you know, Run to Paradise and Boys Will Be Boys. Yeah, I was going to ask you, was it Run to Paradise? But I didn't want to look an Australian. Yeah. I'd get deported to not know the song that they sang. All right, well... I guess. Oh, I know I didn't. Oh my God. Out of everything I have prepared, I did not write segues. I'll have to think of something and, or just put it in that I didn't make it. Anyways, we're going to get chucked to an ad break. We'll be back in a moment. (laughs) G'day listeners, Aaron here. Because Evan and I are stuck in Australia, we thought we better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. Up next, we have Mr. Saturday Night, based off of Billy Crystal's 1992 film, Mr. Saturday Night. He is having the time of his life on stage. If you are a fan of Billy Crystal, go see that show. That's the simplest way to say it. If you're not a fan of Billy Crystal, you don't really need to see this show. This show is a vehicle for Billy Crystal, and he is fantastic in it. He's in his early 70s and is dancing, doing eight shows a week. He doesn't have an understudy. He is having the time of his life and working his butt off. The show also stars Shoshana Bean. This is her first time originating a role on Broadway. And though it's a little underdeveloped, she is fantastic in her two songs. The score is by Jason Robert Brown, an amazing musical theater composer, and has composed a really good score for Billy Crystal to sing. When Billy Crystal sings it correctly, again, he is not a singer, but he is trying his best, and the audience is there for it. The musical itself would not exist if not for Billy Crystal. There's no other way to say that. But it also stars David Paymer, who played his brother in the original film, and seeing the two of them together playing these same roles 30 years later, it's just, it's really cool. Now, this show has some really cool designs. It implements a lot of screens. The band is six people. They are on stage, but they are not seen the entire time. They are behind the stage. They are seen at moments like where Buddy Young is performing in a comedy club and like they're in tuxes and like the backing band. The lighting I love. Not expecting to walk out of that show being like, wow, the lighting is amazing, but I was blown away. And is this show for tourists or purists? This is a show for people who love Billy Crystal, so most likely tourists. If you don't like Billy Crystal's comedy, don't see this show. He wrote the book for the show, and it's probably the funniest book on Broadway this season. I really hope it wins that Tony, but I think it deserves that Tony. It's so 
funny. He is so funny. And like I said, he doesn't have an understudy. Because again, if you're going to see the show, you're going to see him. And that is Mr. Saturday Night. All right, we're listening to Fresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan. And we are joined by the sensational Shobna Gulati, which I am absolutely thrilled because it has been a long time coming to have you on my show. Obviously, you've been so flat out busy traveling and then going to America and, and performing in LA. Were the audiences in Los Angeles different to London audiences? Because this is something we take interest in, how audiences act in different countries. I think definitely. Well, you know, I've had the benefit of being on tour or in Britain uh, where audiences react differently in Scotland, Wales, Ireland, England, and then regionally in the different regions from the north, regions of the north, Yorkshire and Lancashire, Humberside and all around Newcastle and everywhere to, you know, the, the southern counties. I mean, it's just, it's just people, different communities react in different ways. In America, in LA, they were very, very earnest I think they were more earnest in the fact that they really, really wanted to get the Sheffield accent. They really, really wanted to get the idioms. They really, really wanted to understand that northern vibe that um, everybody's talking about Jamie has. So they were quite earnest. And then when they realised that they could just let their hair down and laugh, they did. My sister was in the audience one day and uh, she, she fed back to me something that happened when I was making a crisp sandwich because you know those in LA don't really eat carbs <laughs> right. so that I was making a crisp sandwich she goes uh, the, the lady behind her was going is she really putting potato chips on her uh on between two slices of bread <laughs> you know I mean obviously it was really sort of whoever was watching couldn't believe that I was going to eat potato chips in bread with a, a chip body oh. a chip body is excellent and especially hot chips i've had many a chip sandwich if i had hot chips i would if i'd come in with a bag of hot chips i would definitely have made a hot chip sandwich you are entirely right yeah a loaf of bread and two bucks worth of chips uh, feed a family yeah i had it with my dinner tonight i had a bread roll with my chips and my chicken and i ended <laughs> up putting chips and lots of salt in between my bread and butter and i had a chip body because that's just what you do people stop this whole carbs business goodness gracious me just get out and walk more anyway <laughs> sorry, that's terrible i should not rant on this show anyways we're going to move on to the musical because we are going to do everybody's talking about jamie you obviously you weren't in the original cast but then when you took over you were in the pro shot and then got chosen for the film which is a, a very rare occurrence in this industry so before we we get on to that evan mm. go through yours because there's an upcoming episode where you try to get through your review of the music man and both me and the guest don't stop talking for 15 minutes yeah, something like that only half my fault anyways okay so you do your review first yeah um as usual, I, I, I approach these the same way. I, I yeah. listen to the music blind without knowing anything about it. And then I'll hunt down a pro shot and that kind of thing. Do my research. So I've, yeah, I've watched the pro shot. Well, initially the music straight off the bat and you don't even know it. I was just immediately going, yes, this is how you write a song for a musical. This is good songwriting. It's just well put together. It's well sung all the way through. Um, Wall in my head is just so moving. 
honestly, I just fell in love with this thing straight away, just hearing the music. I just fell in love with it. Everybody talked about Jamie is a wonderful song, but I didn't really appreciate songs like My Boy until I saw the pro shot. Oh, incredible. If you if you're not got a anyone with kids doesn't have a tear in their eye at the end of that, there's something wrong with them. Yeah, and again, I didn't understand the whole getting your armor on over the breach, my friends. I didn't understand that without actually seeing the the pro shot yeah it's because you won't watch drag race that's why yeah so i had no idea but and then it's so it's cool because you get to watch it again well you get to watch it and then it all makes sense and it did it all made sense i then went and start doing my research and and i managed to watch the original documentary uh, by the bbc what was that 2011 because after watching the pro shot it was like i remember this story this i remember hearing it on the radio when the bbc obviously did it. it it made the news so, yeah, I did know the story of Jamie. But musically, I love it. I absolutely love it. I was putting it on in the car, certainly building a wall. It was a hell of a Oh, was it The Wall in My Head is, is a hell of a song, and it's so well sung. And, again, I prefer the, the original cast recording over the, the re-recordings of the film. There's just something about original cast recordings. Just no one does it better than the original cast, just in general. It's always the better version. Well, yeah saying that to someone who wasn't <laughs> yeah, in the no. original cast ever please don't offend my guests and that's that's the only downside here is that ray doesn't really they, ray doesn't get a song yes prom night special prom edition. night special she gets an edition prom night special but unfortunately you don't get to hear me sing that in the original cast you get uh, another that's a bummer. Oh, but we got to see it so yeah actually your comments can't refer to me because uh I sing in the movie. Mm. Obviously, watching watching the original uh, documentary to the musical, like there's a lot of, as Aaron puts it, artistic license going on. That's fine. You've got to tell a story. You've got to flesh it out. You know, flesh out the characters. Different mediums, yeah. Backs, yeah, different medium. That that's all good. But that character, as I, I said to Aaron earlier today, like. Um, when Ray Jamie's mum's friend, I'm not sure because the names were changed. Yes, in, in in the documentary, the the um. Yeah, her name's not Ray. I'm not sure what it is. Lee, Lee that's right. Yeah, yeah. When when she walks in and they're saying not oh, that that they won't let him go to the prom, and she walks in and just says something like, "Oh, for sake, that burns my piss," and I just went, "Ah, they nailed it." The character of Ray is just based on that. And it, yeah. you've absolutely nailed it. I was, yeah, I loved it. Loved it from beginning to end, basically. You know, same as any other audience member. You just come away going, you know, that kid's got balls. He's got massive balls. Well, they're kind of tucked in. but <laughs> They're a little tucked in. Yes. But, um, yeah, to just go, this is what I'm going to do and and just follow through and do it. Yeah, it's a hell of a story. It really is. And yeah. it, it, one that deserves to be told. And they've done it so well. Yeah, the music is just so well put together. Um, yeah, there's no useless songs. Not useless songs. There's no, you know, fillers. Yeah, it's 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 brilliant. I loved it. Are you saying with drag queens there's no fillers? <laughs> Sorry, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Lip fillers, I'm talking about Evan, because yeah, drag queens. Oh, okay. Yeah, got anyways. It. Yeah, no, and and your character of Ray is just excellent. It's absolutely nailed it. Out of all the things that they changed, it's a bit I feel like they didn't need to. You were just Ray. Okay. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. That was great. And and it was the same in the film because I I did sit down and watch the film as well. And yeah, anytime you're on there brought me back to the musical. Just that that feel. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it, 
Couldn't have cast it any better, could they? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Simon Burke, who we've had on the show, and a friend of the show, he was cast in the Australian version that was pre-COVID and it never went ahead and it still hasn't today. What, he would have been Hugo? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, if he was going to be any character, it would be Coco Chanel. Loco Chanel. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. no, I, I love this. This is great. Oh, good. It's, I just, it's, it's one of my favourites, definitely. Really? Now, I'm not just saying that in no. front of a guest. No, I, I really love it. I was immediately putting it on for the wife, going, listen to this, listen to this. It's it's so good. Well, you yeah, you do say in an upcoming episode that this was one of the musicals that you had revisited. Yeah, that I've been listening to. Like, I will just put on just because it's just because it's so good. Just gets you dancing right from the start, you know, with, and you don't even know it. It's, it's, it's a head bopping bloody i mean i can't dance yeah. but i'll try to dance to that now when you performed in los angeles did you have the westboro baptist church picket outside the theater no oh bugger oh, oh i love them they're so like crazy <laughs> it went down really well nobody picketed there was no demos there was no nothing it was it was wonderful in fact i think america found it more tame than perhaps they were expecting because you know it's very british and mm. it, it shows prejudice in a British conservative kind of way, which I think is very different from an American conservative kind of way. Mm. You know, they didn't find it, whoever might be objecting to this kind of musical didn't find it, you know, didn't find it necessary to come and pick it because they didn't think Los Angeles actually loved it. They loved our little British apologetic ways. (laughs) Oh, awesome. But yet Rocky Horror will still get, you know, a little gathering out the front with a few signs. Yeah, that's why I ask about this. We have had guests on that have their shows have been picketed along the way. Mm. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, we weren't picketed, but I think I think perhaps that's to do with you know the fact that we were you know we are still in a pandemic. I think it, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Maybe maybe those kinds of people don't understand Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> don't think they understand humanity to be honest but anyways uh, you're right this is very british and margaret's songs her two songs uh they have that well the first one is very british in sound but the second one sounds like abba am i alone in this that it sounds like something abba could have sung i don't think so i don't think so i think that the reason why the songs resonate so well with everybody is that you know Tom McRae, who wrote the piece, he also wrote the lyrics, and Dan Gillespie Sells did the music, and Jonathan Bottrell, who wrote, who directed the piece, all three of those those men got together, sat down, and they went on a retreat, and they made this happen. And they did it together, and I think that it brings all their experiences together. And I think there's a universality to it all. I suppose it sounds like ABBA, if I'm trying to think about that, it's to do with the universality of the songs that ABBA sings. I think it's more to do with story than it is to do with the sort of musical composition of it. Yeah, but there is, yeah, you can definitely hear that that British sound. Yeah, see, I, 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 it's funny you brought up Bowie earlier. I found in the legend of Coco Chanel, I, I could hear a bit of Bowie in that. Just some of the keys. Mm. Yeah, just some little hints here and there. Nothing major, but it was just like, oh, that sounds like a Bowie song. I can't, couldn't couldn't place it. It wasn't enough to place it. And I look, I, I will die on this hill. And society, you can cancel me for it, but I do think Loco Chanel or Hugo should be played by straight men. 
sort of that blokey man that you know that sort of type that get straight men that look like that you sort of think like jason statham imagine jay if he could sing imagine him playing that would be hilarious <laughs> so that's what i think that should be one role that should i reckon um that us gay people who have literally owned theater for a hundred plus years we can let one role one role go through <laughs> straight men i think i'm willing to die on that hill now i'm um, speaking of the performers tams and carol i have seen a couple of times i saw her in oliver what are we looking at maybe 2001 she played nancy it was an excellent miss hedge tamsin absolutely excellent she's a brilliant young woman and she's a brilliant actor and the most amazing singer she is isn't she uh, i saw her as sheila in hair as well 2003 i think it was right god it was nearly 20 years ago goodness me um and obviously she was in the miss saigon pro shot anyways uh and also daniel jacob but the world knows him as vinegar strokes from rupaul's drag race uk and uh it was his birthday yesterday yeah so happy birthday to him i was gonna say you old slag but i thought he might be <laughs> offended by that but then i thought no he probably wouldn't be offended but then i thought no because then i have to explain that i'm joking because i'm 37 and it's my turn next to turn 38 like i just i it's twitter and nuance is not picked up on twitter at all so i didn't want to offend the poor guy but i do hope that he had a fabulous birthday but also this came at the same time as well about the same time as the prom in america which is also about lgbt's not being allowed to go to the prom two very similar kind of stories but very differently done it's kind of like the deep impact and Armageddon of musicals. So <laughs> took you a minute. But yeah, so do you think you'll go back into it if they, they ask you to, to come and do the Australian production, Shobna? Um, I, 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 will, I will drop in and out if um, everybody's talking about Jamie. I, yeah. I do believe there's probably a, another tour next year, but I will probably... Um, sort of pick my venues to do the work if the producers will allow me to do that so I probably do like a short stint rather than the whole tour because I've spent my life on the road I mean I've just literally come away from doing 42 weeks on the road and that's what how many weeks in a year yeah. <laughs> I kind of think to myself you know this kind of traveling life that I've had ever since I was um, you know a young woman I can't really continue I, you know, I always really wanted to join the circus and run away like that. And I've probably had that kind of experience now. Now I think I'm done with it. Hmm. Oh, fair enough too. Yeah, I've been saying recently I, I would have loved to be building sets, designing sets, that kind of thing, you know, in theatre. And then I realised, hang on, I'd have to travel too. Like, I'd have to do the same schedule as everyone else. I'd never be home. 30 years of baking bread. Then try that in one tour. Like it's <laughs> no, full on no. for them all. But um, I like my bed yeah. too much. I haven't seen the film yet. And I hadn't actually, before doing this, I hadn't watched all of the pro shot because I enjoyed the first half so much that I really just wanted to see it live. So now I've been forced to watch it. Um, but when I watched the documentary, I didn't realize that the, the ending... Um, I bawled my eyes out, <laughs> not to get emotional, but to, I've been on the floor, injured, unable to move while people stood around me and laughed. And I got stretched out of that school while people watched and laughed. I didn't get that support as a child. 
So to see that there are communities out there that do that, I'm going to get emotional now because it was only a couple of hours ago that I watched that documentary and I was sitting there bawling my eyes out thinking, I'm going to screw my throat up and not be able to talk in this recording. But no, it, it, it did hit home because I've talked about it before in the Rocky Horror episode as a seven-year-old child at school. I did that. I dressed up as the witch and the princess and the evil stepmom and we did little fairy tale plays and I'd be wearing dresses and I'd get picked on and it followed me for very a lot of years. It followed me through three schools and a lot of violence. And then there was violence in other areas of my life. And I did not have a support network at all. So for any children out there who do feel like that or go through what Jamie goes through, know that keep at it and keep stick to yourself. Be stubborn. Be like me. Just be stubborn and keep your eyes focused on what you want in life. I think it's a message for everybody. I don't I don't think it's necessarily about being stubborn, though. I think it's about actually, what is it about? It's about, I mean, I know this sounds a bit corny, but it is about finding your authentic self. I mean, when Jamie tries to be something that he isn't, you know, it, it's recognised by his friends and, and, you know, pretty points it out. She says, you know, just be you whoever that is try and find that person because when Jamie behaves in a manner that's pretty unkind and pretty awful actually you just you don't you don't think oh no that's that's not we how we want Jamie to be Jamie has to realize who he is and I think that's the journey for all of us you know all of us need to find our voice and what we want and, and all of that is really really difficult and I think and I think and I think, you know, the, the prom musical or, you know, uh, Dear Evan Hansen or, you know, everybody's talking about Jamie. We're all, they're all talking about the same thing. Indeed, the rise and fall of Little Voice. It was her finding her authentic voice within a sea of people who were just more interested in themselves or not interested in them. And it, and I think, I think we're all struggling right now, to be honest, as well in this in this pandemic as well we all need to find some solid pillars again you know however we do that but we have to find it i'm i mean we'll just see i mean i mean i don't even know whether tomorrow i will do another stage job i have no idea you know i've just got to you know just got to be where where i am right now so it's that kind of thing it's kind of listening to yourself but listening to the the real voice in your head isn't it because the walls you know the walls in our head we all build them and then that's why that song is so resonant mm. you know this wall in my head we all have that wall that we can't you know we, we we don't know how we can get over it ever yes that's life in it boys yeah well that that is one of those poignant songs that can it, it can apply to you know pretty much everything you know, yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's not just not just Jamie personally, but everyone can find something in in that yeah. that song in particular. Yeah, you have a voice in your head, Evan, and it's me. <laughs> I'm building a wall to that voice. Sorry, you built a wall to. Ah, oh, <laughs> how dare you block me out? Goodness gracious me! But anyways, um, I guess we can untuck and go to an ad break. Anyways, we'll be back after this. I thought of that one on the fly. Unintended. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show 
and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time, go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened. Everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching. And then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it, a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony, and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo!
Right, you're listening to Thrashing Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan, and we are joined by the legendary Shobna Gulati, who audiences around the world would know as Sunita from Coronation Street. Now, while we're still on drag queens, do you have a drag king name? I do know that's a really odd question because I think I would have a drag queen name, not drag king name. What what would your drag queen name be then? I think my well. My nickname is Shabley. Yeah. <laughs> Though I have toyed with, are you ready? Catherine's Eaton Jones. <laughs> that is awesome. I, th- I love a three name pun. I really do. And Evan, your drag king name would be John Travolting. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I should have thought oh, of a drag. Was- drag queen name i'm only just discovering that there's such a thing as a drag king well yeah of course there is gender bending has what do you been mean, of course there is it never even crossed my mind that that's a thing well that's your ignorance. yeah I was, a, I was a drag king in um in manchester pride a few years back i oh, i did dress i did dress up as a drag king for manchester pride but i think on reflection now i'd like to be a, a drag queen yeah. i think it would be great to do a celebrity drag race actually and be a drag queen i'd love that yeah nudge nudge wink wink (laughs) to any of our listeners out there who may work on the shows you know who to cast next time because obviously they're in a season at the moment and i may have to cut this out but former guest been on this show is in the current season of celebrity drag race so if that's been revealed that can stay in the episode. If that hasn't been revealed, we have to cut that out because obviously they're not revealing who they are. And I don't know why, why aren't they revealing? Like they're like it's not a guessing game, but we're not going to reveal who they are. I don't know. I think maybe that because it. Um, I don't know why people want to do that. It's quite nice to do things anonymously. You know, I really enjoy things like masked singer and masked dancer because. I think it's quite interesting because then, you know, we don't have to go on the celebrity journey or the contestant's journey. We can just, just enjoy the, the actual art form of either dressing up and dancing or dressing up and singing or being a drag queen, you know, without having to have all the baggage of celebrity, if that makes sense. I really enjoy that. Uh, there is something to that. So I, I wonder, yeah, I wondered whether it was the same sort of premise that we can just get involved in the art form then. Yeah. Uh, who would your Snatch Game character be? Oh, my Snatch Game character would probably be... Um... <laughs> Let me think about this. Oh, I've not thought about this. Now you're asking me. Uh yeah, I think it would be uh, Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher, yep, awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, we'll move on from the fun stuff. I've got a serious question now. What do you look for in order to trust a director or even a co-star? So when you go for a job, what are you, what are you looking for? Well, I think... In that there's two different things for co-star and then there's a different thing for a director. So with the director, you want to feel safe in the room. You want to feel like they have got your back. Uh, and they've got the back of the story and that they are keen on team playing. Um, So, you know, that they are keen on all of those things and that they are uh, as open as we, as you are in the room to, and and also being open to receive ideas and and give um, offers and suggestions. 
you know, it's a two-way process. And so I think that that would be a lovely thing. It often doesn't happen, but when it does, it, it works like a dream. I also would expect a director to be able to take command of the space as well and, you know, and make sure that any egos were well kept out of the room. Obviously, this is an, an industry that is filled with ego and they're of all varying shapes and sizes. Yeah. Basically, and, and it's a minefield. It is a minefield. It is a minefield. I think it's a very difficult, it is a very difficult profession. And I think that so many people have opinions on, you know, your profession as an actor or what you do or how much money you might earn or not earn. They don't really know what it's like. Um, they don't really know what it's like. But, you know, it's not, you know, I don't think I save lives or anything, but I, you know, I work bloody hard and I think I can bring a lot of joy and peace to people. And that's, that's something I can do. But as I said, I, I don't, I don't do anything, you know, more than that in life. I just try and do my best like everybody else does in their job. You know, I don't, you know, I can't be pedestaled in any way, shape or form. That's not ever what I ask for. And it's not ever I've thought, you know, it's not something that I seek either. So I think co-stars are very different. Um, you know, you would expect your co-star to have respect for you as you have respect for them. And you'd be expect that you would work in a room where with dignity. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all I ask for. It doesn't often happen, but that's what I ask for. Oh, I know a certain actor recently had something to say about intimacy coordinators and uh it didn't go down well they no they're very very important in my book because you yeah. know you need a fight director you don't shoot people or stab people when you're you know fighting on set yeah. you know this is doesn't, doesn't happen does it because you have somebody choreographing that yeah. so the same the same should be for any intimate scenes between men and women men and men women and women you should have that because boundaries need to be respected. It's not real. Mm -hmm. It's not real. The key is to tell the story and for people to believe that it's real, but it's not real. So that, that you know, that is the reality of it. I, you know, I think we should, I mean, I think that whoever said that, um, whatever, whenever he said it, he said something that the actress was up for anything. Uh, yeah. excuse me yeah that she'd done cabaret so therefore she's up for anything like made the presumption about her which is kind of gross i thought yeah i thought the presumption was kind of gross so i just i just think well you know i i, I responded to that because you know we've oh, i've been in this profession now for 35 years and i i do you know sometimes it's not easy and sometimes people cross your boundaries and that should not happen and now we have intimacy uh, intimacy coordinators. We didn't. This has not always happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, and, and now people are trained to do that. I mean, I've been a choreographer, uh, so I have choreographed. I've choreographed closeness and dance before, and it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. I had to choreograph a love scene. So I suppose, in a way, back in the day, I was an intimacy coordinator. But, you know, you have to be very respectful of the uh, not the actors that you're working with and, you know, the story that you're telling. And you, I think it can be extremely beautiful when it is choreographed, um, uh, you know, 
I mean, choreographed to look like reality is 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 a superb is a superb um, skill. Skill, yeah. Well, that's it. Now, acting is meant to be a skill. Yeah. And if, if your reality looks like a choreographed sex scene, you're doing well. You're doing well, yeah. And you know, you're well because exactly. I've I've never known my own sex scenes to be quite <laughs> like that. But uh, well, that's when I used to have it. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. But I feel like that you learn your lines, you take direction, you stand in particular spots, you decide how your character is to move and breathe and do all of those things. Mm-hmm. So why can't you, in you know, why can't you be choreographed within that character to how that character then has you know, a sexual relationship with somebody or a fighting relationship with somebody, you know? I don't understand where that came from. No, I I don't either. And especially since there is a very, very clear disparity in how women are shown on film compared to men who will always be covered up or slightly blurred or there's always sort of the blanket over their lap or, you know, they get up and there's a pot plant covering them over, but the women... (laughs) And not given that respect. So I tell you what I watched last night, and it was really strange to watch it. I watched Internal Affairs, and then there's a lot of sex scenes in that. And I, I just, you know, it occurred to me at that point, whenever it was made in the 90s or the sort of late 80s, early 90s. I mean, was there intimacy coordination then? Who knows? But then that, you know, what that character said came back into my head, and I just thought, oh, flipping heck, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I want it to be a fairer space for for men and women on set. I really do. And look, everyone should want that. Yeah, and I think all of us, all of us, require dignity at work. And that's what you know. That's my that's my phrase at the moment that's living in my head: dignity at work. And look, and this is a job where, quite frankly, there's often in situations where there is a bit of indignity, like someone might be naked in mud and they're being, I don't know, screamed at or chased by someone with a knife or something like, you know what I mean? Like there's situations where you're not normally in this situation in your daily life. So there's already a level of indignity and stepping out of yourself and into a character who is put through the ringer, all sorts of situations that aren't in your control. As I said, you know, uh, actors, uh, every job needs, you know, we all need protection. We all need, you know, if something strange happens, we all need a kind of structure at work that where we can speak to people about this. There needs to be some sort of level of, you know, if you have a grievance, how do you talk about that? And then how do you come to terms with some of the characters that you do portray? You know, it does get in your head. Of course it gets in your head because you're playing these parts, and it's really, really, really difficult to separate yourself. But then, as actors, you must realise that it is a technical thing and it's a skill and it's what you do as opposed to who you are. I'm not, I mean, I have to really remind myself of that, uh, you know, every day. You know, these are characters I step into the shoes of. I am not that person. But you have to find you have to find in order to find a sort of as as one of the directors of uh, everybody's talking about Jamie always says and I, you know this is this is one of the he said Jonathan Bottrell you have to live the life of that character and i have to see that and that's it you know if as long as you're living the life of that character on stage on film on radio on tv you know 
whilst you're doing that character that is it you know i do have a problem with words like oh what's the truth of this character because who knows what the truth is anyway ever I was going to ask a guest once, what does this mean? What's the truth in a character? Because what does that mean? Yeah, well, I don't know what it means because, you know, we as human beings hide from the truth all the time. So how the character would know what their truth is, I have no idea. Like the goal of an actor is to make them feel as real as possible, but they are fictional characters. So finding what truth? Exactly. And as I said, we spend all our lives searching for our own. So... That's yeah. That's that's something that nobody will ever find. <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe maybe Daniel Day Lewis. I don't know. Um, I don't, see, but Daniel Day Lewis, you know, in in his approach to it was to find you know the life of that character. So it. he did a lot of methodology to, in order to do that. You know, I think you know those big words like truth and authentic portrayal. I think what you're looking for is an authenticity. And, uh, you know, that character, you know who Ray is because you've met Ray, you know. Ray is not me, but I've met Ray and I know a Ray or I've met people like Ray. Ray is a combination (laughs) of loads of people I know. Yeah. And bits of myself. What I find extraordinary about the characters I've been playing recently is that, you know, I've been playing these kind of sex-crazed women and I think it's really funny because, you know, I'm postmenopausal and live in a little cottage in the woods. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I just find it like, who are these women? I don't know who they are. All, all that popped into my head was that, like, with you, you're talking about finding truth and, and living the characters and that kind of thing. You've ever had to play a, a character you just thoroughly despised? Yes. You just like I don't. This person is is not. It's not a good person. I don't like. In the rise and fall of Little Voice, I play uh, Little Voice's mum, who's um, who's extremely narcissistic. She's a narcissist. She's a drunk. She's desperate. I had to find within her, you know, something about her that I liked in order to find the poignancy of why she's like that do you know what i mean there's no explanation of why she's like that you don't there are some clues but most of the time every character doesn't like her so that when they speak about her they're not complimentary about her so the only times that i had to find her why i thought as an actor i need to find something about her that i like uh, you know, besides the wickedness and the nastiness and all of that, and that is great to play, but it's not easy to play, if that makes any sense. Mm. So I, you know, in my process, <laughs> lol, I sound like an actor, in my process I needed to um, find something I liked about her in order to find her in humanity. Yeah, that's, that's something we hear a lot with villains, people who play villains. I think Michael Cerverus said it. Yeah, I mean, you just need to find something. I mean, there's all sorts of methodologies of doing that and there's all sorts of ways of doing that and there's all sorts of techniques of doing that. But yeah. I just think, yeah, it's interesting. Even nice characters. I mean, flipping like I've only mostly played yeah. nice people. You have. Um, pretty much yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. and i kind of think to myself well i'm not particularly very nice 
Yeah. Uh, so I, well, or I can, that's not true. I, can be I didn't mean to say, yeah, but I sort of so that polite, yep, that you say in a conversation, <laughs> it just came out. I'm like, hang on, no, I didn't mean to say that. I'm sure that's not true, Shobna. Really, you came on our show. We're all human beings, aren't we? So yeah, it's true. just kind of, we're all fallible. So I just feel like, you know, some of the characters, Saint or Sinner, Women particularly are either saints or sinners, yep. you know, this is, this is the way it is, you know, these are the characters, these um, stereotypes that we often find ourselves in as we grow older as women as well. It's kind of like, we are you, you're the best friend, or you're there, you're the mum, are you a saint or are you a sinner? Because, you know, it depends who's writing the women as well, and you know that that's really interesting i think i think now i'm in the mom and grandma category because in whole whole raises i'm a mom and a grandma <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> but she's really interesting because she subverts all the stereotypes of what that is and written by uh, a, a woman and and also um about women so that's interesting. I find her really fascinating as a character to play. Yeah, it it it, it is interesting. I all all I really enjoy is I really enjoy being an actor because it gives me however much time not to be in myself in in my world, but I can just step into somebody else's for a little while, and that gives me respite. Um, whether that world of the other person is horrible or nice or a mixture of the both of them, that's why I really like it. I just find it a very sort of comforting and safe space um, because in the real world, your own your own life is so, you know, it can be so can be so bloody difficult to use a very Britishism. Yeah, well, just on that sort of playing villains, uh, I did have another question, mm-hmm. but I'll move over to this one. My first episode of Coronation Street, because it had hadn't aired on Australian TV for quite a while, and it came on our cable. And I decided one random day in the mid-2000s to watch Corrie. Very excited to check out this show because I loved Neighbours. My very first episode was Emily being beaten by Richard Hillman. Oh. Yes. My jaw dropped i'm like what am i watching for crying out loud one woman's just been killed and the other one's being beaten or one got beaten and then this uh, maxine peacock i think it was got got killed by him and that was like whoa what what are you doing over there on your television is this some daytime tv or what it wasn't Maxine Peake who'd got who'd got killed. It was a character called Maxine, played by Tracy Shaw. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, so that Maxine Peake is an actress, isn't she? Yeah, correct. That's me to a T, getting people mixed up <laughs> with characters that are not related to each other. They're just similarly lamed. Yeah. So that was mind blown. <laughs> I could not believe it because it wasn't just he did not just attack this old lady, Evan. He whacked her with a crowbar on the back of the head while she innocently sat there watching the TV. And I'm like, this dear old lady. Ooh. It's horrific. It's horrific. But you see, you know, these things happen in life. And that, you know, it was horrific to sort of have it, you know, on, on a, you know, the most popular soap opera of its time at that time, you know, in the world. And you're watching it, you know. 
but you know the thing that soap opera does so well in especially in England is it takes the issues it takes what happens it takes people on these journeys you know you know it of course sometimes it exaggerates things you know obviously for drama purposes but you know at the same time this is you know that could have happened that could have happened anywhere you know the the, the terrible things happen in communities and you know recently we've had a shooting of a a nine-year-old child in Liverpool this happens in life, you know, and people think, oh, you know, we're turning on soap opera and it's so far-fetched. It's not. I mean, it's extraordinary and devastating what people can do to each other. Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. Deeply sad. Yeah, and I think that's why it was so shocking because like, you, you're absolutely right. That thing happens all the time. But then the other soaps that were on, like Passions, I love. That's probably my favorite soap of all time. Passions. Oh, Stop God. laughing, Evan. How dare you laugh? Oh, my God. I'm so offended with you right now. Anyway, I'm, I'm amazed that I know what this show oh, is. Good. Anyways, <laughs> that was quite dramatic in terms of people being really nasty to each other and stuff like that. But like Home and Away and Neighbours in Australia and um, Days of Our Lives and all that, they're, they're all pretty tame compared to this one episode that was the first episode I happened to tune in. This innocent old Emily Bishop. Yeah, I was going to say last time I tuned into Neighbours, which was a very long time ago, they weren't booning people in the head with tire irons. No, no, no. And it was quite a shock. Like this was quite, I don't want to use the term gritty, but it kind of was for what is essentially a soap opera. Yeah. Coronation Street has always been gritty. If you go back and mm. right back to its origins, you know, we've had, we, you know, you had some pretty, you know, big scenes between um ken barlow and mike baldwin where they beat each other up you know and all, all sorts it was very much it was you know it is a kitchen sink drama and and it still has that you know quality about it obviously things have changed now with you know streaming channels and and everything you know it's not like it was where you tune into a nightly episode you now can you know we have the power to watch what we want so it's very different you know before television had power over us and now we've got that over television, if you like, <laughs> you know, because it's really our choice as opposed to what is programmed for us. We can decide whether we want to watch it or not. And um, I think back in those days, I obviously was on Corrie at that time as well, before before the streaming channels and before that ability to stream what you wanted happened. Um, yeah, so, it, I mean... Interestingly enough, I I saw, um, I saw uh, the actor who plays Richard Richard Hillman, uh, Brian, okay. yeah, Brian Capron. I saw him. We, we were doing the rise and fall of Little Voice in Brighton. Brian lives around there, so he came to watch it. And uh, yeah, we caught up. We had some, um, we had some um, lunch together and talked about the days where we were in people's living rooms where. You know, our fictional characters sort of bled into our real life, you know, because mm. people would actually think we are those people. Yeah, I've, I've heard this a bit from soap actors. Yep. Yeah, and how then that would impact our real lives. And it really did impact our real lives, you know. And, it, and to this day, my character, Sunita, uh, is, is still in the memory. I mean, it's testament. I always say to Brian, it's testament to how well we played our characters because... 
you know, if we live on in their memories, you know, even though it's been, you know, 15, 20 years since we've left, you know, it's kind of, you know, over 15 years since we, we left with, with Brian and then with myself, it's kind of like, you, it's testament to what, what we did uh, yeah. as, as characters that people still remember. But, you know, at the time in, you know, in the goldfish bowl of Coronation Street at that time, it was really, really tough to actually live a life outside of the street. I can imagine. Are you doing a two and a half hour movie every week? So Yeah, you are. And then that two and a half hour movie comes into the living room. And, you know, you switch the channel and you're on. You don't switch the channel and then switch to another 60 million that you can switch on to. Mm. But the, mm. you know, if there's only a five-channel five television set, that's all you're getting. That's it. That was choice. That was choice. Dude, growing up in New Zealand, we had two channels, channel one and channel two. We were, we were really imaginative. I really, really didn't know you had TV in New Zealand. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Um, just got a couple more questions because obviously we did start late and we're running long. Uh, now, what is left for you to conquer in the arts? Because Evan and I are both flabbergasted at what you have accomplished. I like painting. I like painting. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I do. I like making. Well, I like making art. I mean, I don't. You know, whether it's painting or making things, I'm a I'm a maker. So mm-hmm. I like to uh, make things, and I make sort of bits of work whether they're sort of three-dimensional or just painting, I quite like it, yeah. or drawing. Um, I haven't really focused on that, but it's something that I used to do a lot when I was, a, you know, a child and a young woman, and then it kind of fell away. But it's back. It's back. Awesome. <laughs> it's back, yeah. and I've, I've started again. So, that, that, yeah. Nice. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of hard to, to have a painting on the go when you're travelling. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The drying times of proper oils are ridiculous. Well, I do like mixed media, working with different things like textiles and, and paint and oil and watercolour and sketching. I like it. I just do like it. So I just, um, yeah, that kind of thing. I sew as well, which is, I don't machine sew, but I embroider. I know I just sound like like I should really live in, no. never come out of my house. But yeah. yeah, I like to embroider. So we'll we'll just see. We'll just see. I I don't think I want to conquer it. I just would like to have time for a hobby. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've been trying for months to convince Evan to team up with me and design outfits for drag queens because he can sew and I can design. I was eyeing off sewing machines the other day. Oh, well, very metal. We're one step. You hear that, people? We are one step to making <laughs> outrageous frocks for drag queens. So, oh wow! Yes. Well, you could perhaps make my Catherine's and Jones dress. Yes, yes, because I ever since I was a child watching the Oscars, I would sit there and draw dresses and you know just outfits and gowns and stuff like that, and then doing you know costume design and stuff like that. Um, but but I got one more question. I don't know if Evan's got any, but um, now there is a bit of a lack of I'll say known female producers in theatre. I can name off the top of my head Sonia Friedman. Nika Burns. Nika Burns. Everybody's talking about Jamie. She's an amazing, amazing yeah. one. Well, I, yeah. that's not one I'm familiar with, so I deeply apologise to her. I'm, I'm, that's no, no devaluing career. Um, We're without Nika 
Yeah, I've got to say, without Nika, we wouldn't have everybody talking about Jamie, the movie, the, the West End. Oh, really? Because Nika came to Sheffield to watch it. This is me with foot in mouth disease. I'm always putting my foot in it. But my question is, uh, th- there is someone that you know that I we both follow on Twitter that you've just worked with who is a female producer in the UK. And I've been sort of following her career for the past year and a half or so. Katie Lipson, how kick-ass is she? Because what, what an amazing woman, what an amazing career she's having that she's just nailing it and time after time, show after show. So yes, that, that was my question. How kick-ass is Katie? <laughs> yeah, Katie, Katie's a Manchester girl. She has a great love of musical. She has a great love of theatre. And, you know, basically what Katie has achieved is she's put her money where her mouth is and she's really, really gone for it. And, you know, I admire, I admire how yeah. hardworking she is and how determined she is. And she's new. So may she continue to rise and rise well with the correct sort of teams behind her. She can really, really achieve. Yeah, that's like I've just sat watching astounded in in admiration of what she's achieved. Katie has a really, you know, authentic passion for theatre and music. And she just, she has that absolute determination and single-mindedness. And I think that that's... Well, that's what I because obviously she produced the rise and fall of Little Voice, and she was one of the producers on that. Um, that was co-produced, but she was one of them, and she, you know, she has that kind of absolute love. I mean, when she watches it, you can see her, you know, just come alive. And I think it's passion, and Nika has that, and Sonia has that. You know, they have a real passion for the work, and they have behind that. I think there's. There's that authenticity, you know, and, and, you know, that determination to succeed because of that. You know, it is, you know, as we know, not an equal or level playing field for women in this industry. So, you know, hats off to them. No, which, um, which is why I've made a, a note of it. And you don't need the precedence set for you. Set the precedence yourself. Well, I think that precedence comes from... So, you know, to set a precedence, you need to have the passion in the first place. And this is what they've got in buckets. So that's what I'm saying. But that is what drives them is, is their passion. So that, that that is the key to it, you know. You know, that's it. 35 years of doing this, you know, has not been easy. So you just kind of, you to, I laugh. You know, she laughs ruefully and rightfully over here. Um, because I just kind of, you know, there's days that I I don't even want to get up or get out of bed because I just, you know, I can't. But then there's something inside me, as I said, that just, you know, is a necessity and need and want that I have within myself and passion that, you know, that then that then will make me continue despite all the knockbacks. And as I said, for women... Uh, you know, we haven't even touched on women of colour here, but, you know, it's even hard. I constantly have to prove myself. And I don't know quite what that's about, but I do know elements of, of it are to do with my heritage. Well, that's officially a bit shit. Yeah. 
Yes, officially, officially, it's a bit shit. But you know what? I every time the shit hits the fan, I duck and move out of that room and try and walk into another one. I think what the world needs actually is a little bit of empathy and compassion. I think that we are we are so keen to speak our minds and we're so keen to disagree. And we're so keen to go, oh, no, I don't agree with you and that your opinion is this and that and the other. That divides us. And I think what we need to look for now, given everything that's gone on, is something that unifies us. And I think that the deepest human condition of empathy and compassion, these are the things that we should sort of, we should sort of focus on, you know. And I think you can disagree with somebody with empathy and you can disagree with somebody with compassion. It doesn't have to be right or wrong. No, well, that's it. Um, just uh, in terms of producers and, and female producers, and, and when I think of it, I can't name a professional producer who is a person of colour, let alone a woman of colour. Shonda Rhimes? Oh, sorry, in theatre, specifically in theatre. Yeah, because obviously we've got Tyler Perry. He's got his kingdom in Atlanta with his studio. It is a kingdom, Evan. Look it up. He's... Oh, yeah, I know. I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, it's incredible. Yeah, so in theatre, though, no, I, I can't think of it. Because gr- growing up, I've always known names like Cameron McIntosh, John Frost, people like that. So Yeah, I think it's difficult. It's difficult. I, I, I can't think of anybody except for um, Lynette uh, Linton, who is at the Bush Theatre, Okay. Yeah. She runs that, um, and she she I came into contact with Lynette when she co-directed uh, Richard II at the Globe, which was an all-female, uh, women of color production, um, co-directed with Adjurando. Yeah. So essentially, Adjur and, and Lynette produced it for the Globe, and uh, was so we were part. I was part of that team. So. I'd say Lynette, and I'd say Indu Rupasingham, who's at, um, these are women of colour that I would like to focus on, and she's she's at the Tricycle Theatre in Kilburn. I think it's called The Kiln now or something. It's a name change, I think. Yeah, it's called The Kiln, I was right. So so that's run by Indu Rupasingham, and then you've got Lynette at the Bush Theatre. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think Lynette is an extraordinary young woman she's going to be directing something at the national shortly she's extraordinary and she's just had her first foray into tv as a director and she directed my name is leon oh wonderful yeah so you know i'd say that the army is growing but not quick enough i think what's really interesting about what you say though is that nobody knows about anybody until the internet was born yeah but those geeks like me that would be at the library reading all the musical theater books and my mum would come home with i've got this book for you it's like musicals a to z and stuff like other than like recording and pausing credits yeah there was no other way to to see who wrote this or you know who sung that yeah so i mean you know it's the internet really doesn't really and i think that you know as as human beings in general, we have a very short attention span. It depends whether you are geeky or not, really. But mostly, you don't have the attention span to really, you know, to watch the credits, to go back on them, to recognise who those people are, or who did that, or who did that. Because, you know, it's the next thing. 
you want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And things are so disposable now. So mm. and right back to what Evan said, it doesn't matter what your CV is. Nobody gives a damn. Hear that, Shelley Winters? We don't care about your two Oscars. No, we do because you are Shelley Winters. You see, that, that's the thing, you know, if we are keeping the company of Shirley, then then that's great, isn't it? You know, yep. at the end of the day, it's not just affecting, you know, I can't just say, no, it's it's about it's about my journey. It's about all our journeys. As I said, mm. everybody wants to find the next big thing, whether that is a re reinventing somebody from the past or finding a new person or concentrating on you know what I think about my career is you know I use the word innovative innovative young upcoming young upcoming all the time Mm -hmm. and then you know by then you know I got really old and then I thought well no I can't be upcoming or innovative or can we what now what am I you know I'm still breaking through no, you you are legendary. legendary. Well, I, don't know. I have a scorecard. I have a scorecard for all our guests. I am a snob about it, and I will own that because the term legend means something. And Shobna, you have earned that status. You really have from all your work and social work and academia and everything you have done. So, well, that's really kind. <laughs> Take it and put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> I will. I will. Sh- shove that on your demo tape. That's Just, it. I'll shove that on the next uh, audition panel. <laughs> yes, very good. Yes, we yeah. don't even do demo tapes, do we? We send them digitally. No, yeah, we send. No, that's it. But anyways, you have been an amazing guest. It has truly been such a thrill and an incredible honor to have you on the show. So quickly, where can people find you on the social medias? You can find me at Shobna Galati on Twitter mm. and at Shobna Galati on Instagram. And uh, if you were a LinkedIn person, I'm not judging. I'm on there too. <laughs> a LinkedIn? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm on that. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you. Lovely to meet you both. Thank you. Uh, to you at home, you take care and we shall see you next time. Hooray. Thank you. Like, like, like.